Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions, giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and on this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond, our guest is Alexis Grant. Alexis is a second-year PhD student in the Division of Community Health Sciences at the University of Illinois at Chicago School of Public Health. She is a community-engaged researcher with an emphasis on public health system partnerships, particularly for the purposes of implementing interventions in community settings. She takes an interdisciplinary approach in her work and has experience with both qualitative and quantitative analysis, geographic information systems, and systematic review. She also holds a master's degree in behavioral and social health sciences from Brown University and bachelor's degrees in English and psychology from Howard University. In our conversation, Alexis shares her journey toward pursuing a PhD in the public health field, her passion about equity as a foundation for her research, and her perspective on the COVID-19 pandemic. Additionally, you'll hear about the integration of her faith and work, as well as how she is finding hope these days. Thank you so much, Alexis, for being our guest on the podcast today. With most of our audience being women in academia and the professional world, can you begin by sharing briefly about your educational background and how that has influenced who you are today? Yeah, sure thing. So I went to undergrad and did my bachelor's in English and psychology at Howard University, which is in DC. And when I actually started my I guess not my graduate education, but when I started, I wasn't planning or thinking about graduate school at all. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was just kind of going to college because that's what my mom told me to do and it was not negotiable. (laughs) So I never really planned to do graduate school, let alone a PhD program. And it really wasn't until my junior year of college where a mentor really encouraged me to start thinking about what I wanted to do in the future and thinking about graduate school. I always had a passion for research and I loved learning and asking questions. Mm -hmm. And so I found that graduate school was the next logical step for me. And so I ended up applying to master's degrees in education, social sciences, and public health. And (laughs) when the time for decisions came, I ultimately chose public health because I felt like that was that kind of program provided more methods based, which is what I was really interested in, in learning methods to ask questions and find answers. And so that's really how I got into public health. And once I started that program, I realized how much I really loved it and I wanted to keep doing research. And that's what brought me to the PhD program. That's amazing. Those are three very different choices. <laughs> yeah. Education. Education. What was the second one? General social science research. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then and public, then public health. health. Yeah. I started out wanting to do, I always wanted to do some kind of systems level change work. And mm-hmm. I originally was thinking about how I wanted to research implementation of mental health programs in schools. And so that's, that's how like education and public health kind of related to each other. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I just ended up picking public health. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <And> here I am. <laughs> so do you focus any in the research that you're doing? Do you focus much on mental health or is it just more broad? My work is a little more broad. I focus primarily on the implementation part. So I'm still interested in like implementation of health programs in different settings. And that includes schools. 
um, okay. have kind of broadened my interest to encompass a lot of different health issues and topics. So then can you also share a little bit about your spiritual background and faith journey and how that has shaped you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up going to church with my family growing up. It was, I'm the oldest. So it was me. I have two sisters and then I have a brother that's 12 years younger than me. And then my mom growing up, it was me, my sisters, and we were the four girls and we grew up going to church with my mom and it was pretty regular, but I would say like my church background was kind of more going through the motions and not really seeing Jesus be the focus of the household. Like I aspire to have one day when, when I have a family and it wasn't really until high school where I really started to take my faith journey seriously and really understand what it meant to follow Jesus. And yeah, when I was 17, I made a choice to really make that a priority of my life. And yeah, I decided to like really follow God, not just in word, but also in deed. So going into college, I was still kind of a baby Christian and college was a time where I really got to grow my faith and explore my faith. And I joined this worship arts ministry in college, which I consider very influential to my faith journey because it was a place to kind of put together all the different pieces of myself that I was enthusiastic about. I always loved writing poetry and I liked singing. And so like with that worship arts ministry, I was able to write poems for Jesus and Mm. for that to be worship and like valued as art and as worship. And I think that experience during undergrad and being a part of a ministry like that has kind of informed how I think about even the writing I do today and even my professional work and thinking about how all the things that God's given us passion for and skill for are things that we can use for his glory. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then using that writing, still the skills of writing, whether or not it's poetry or writing research or academic articles, still using it as a gift that God has given you for his glory. Mm-hmm. And you said Howard was undergrad. Did you say where you went for your master's? I don't think I did. I did my master's at Brown University. Okay, great. And then now you're in Chicago, correct? Yes. So to say a little bit more about what you're doing now in Chicago. Yeah. So at Chicago, what brought me here was my PhD program in public health at UIC. And my research focus is on collaboration within community settings, which I'm sure we'll get to more later. But my research focus is kind of based on this principle that community health programs are the ones that are the most effective versus ones that that take place in a hospital setting. And so my research focuses on what does it look like for a community health program to be coordinated between a bunch of different entities. So that's what brought me to UIC. And that's what I hope to be focusing on as my research. And One of the things that brought me specifically to UIC in Chicago was just the amount of activity that's happening in terms of community organizing and collaboration in different community areas and neighborhoods. And that's kind of a culture, a culture of the city that I think some other cities don't have. That's one thing that really drew me to Chicago specifically. So then do you do any work over in Lawndale and then Lawndale neighborhood with their Christian Health Center? I have interacted with them somewhat. Yeah, Londo Christian Health Center is on, is participating in one of the studies that I'm working on with my doctoral advisor. So it's really cool to see, yeah, Londo Christian Health Center come together with other healthcare organizations and community organizers and UIC and thinking about how all these different people and players can work together for a common goal. Hmm. 
Yeah, I asked that specifically because my husband and I um, spent some time in the Lawndale neighborhood, gosh, 10, oh my, 12 years ago, almost 13. Anyway, and our oldest son was born in Lawndale and we did our prenatal care at Lawndale Christian Health Center. And it's just interesting to see all the, the ways that that place keeps growing and serving the community. I've never seen anything quite like it, to be honest. So yeah, I was curious if any of your work intersected with what they're doing. Yeah. So can you share then a little bit more about how your work or how your faith informs your work? Yeah, I mentioned this a little bit, but in my research, my kind of framework for doing my work is really focused on these equity-driven frameworks and health program implementation. So one of the reasons that community-based programs work better is because they are more equitable and more accessible to people versus something that happens just in a healthcare setting or just in a school setting those kind of like one-site programs. And so one of those principles that kind of informs my starting point for my work of community-based programs are better is that they are more equitable and more accessible. And I think that equity focus really goes back to this idea that people are all worthy of an equal chance at health and an equal chance at being able to do the things that God has planned for us. And when there are structural barriers, like a lack of access to transportation or income barriers. And those kind of barriers prevent people from being able to do the things that God has planned for them. And then that makes it so that people can't reach their optimal health. So I think that my faith really informs my work and kind of driving this framework that I have in the back of my mind of like equity and that equity is something that is ordained by God. And so in my work and trying to achieve equity and like advocate for equity, I see that as part of God's work and going back to his plan for creation that he has a plan for all of us and thinking about creating equitable pathways is increasing the chance that we're able to really do what he has for us. And then on the other hand, how would you say that your work has shaped your faith? Yeah, I think that my work has shaped my faith by broadening it more, I would say. I think just as I get older, seeing the way that your faith really informs everything and everything is informed by your faith. And I think doing this work and reflecting on it just allows me to kind of broaden my faith and think about like how I can pray for God to remove barriers and remove health disparities. And that that kind of prayer is something that God sees and respects and values. And I think that's different than what I grew up doing. And even today in churches, we don't really talk about how our work should shape our faith and how our faith should shape our work. And I think it's really this feedback loop that is really healthy for our spiritual growth. Yeah, because otherwise often we compartmentalize it and never ask the question about, I mean, I guess sometimes we ask the question about how our faith informs our work, but often not that second part of how do we let our work impact our faith, what we're seeing and what we're doing. How does that change our view of who God is and his purposes in the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one thing that, encourages me to do this work. When I first started out, I was very, let's say discouraged uh, and just talking about health disparities. There's so much talk about health disparities and a lot of discussion about the problem, but not as much attention given towards the solution. And I think when I first started out kind of in this area of public health, I was really frustrated by the fact that everyone was always talking about the problem and not the solution. 
And I think that's one way that I've been able to kind of grow in my faith and seeing that there is a solution and that there is a path. And then thinking about how, what my specific role is in making that come to pass. Yeah. Then kind of along with that, as we're in this really strange time right now with COVID-19, with your work in this field of public health, can you share your perspective on COVID-19, on the pandemic, and what you see as some of the key concerns? Yeah. So starting out with the pandemic back in late February, we started having kind of the more intense meetings in the School of Public Health. And one of the conversations from the beginning was a concern around equity and access to information. And and now look, fast forwarding a couple months, like we still see this imbalance and access to accurate information about the virus and now information about testing and symptoms and when to go to the hospital. And it kind of goes back to conversations that were happening even before the pandemic about equity. And the pandemic is really just highlighting structures and barriers to healthcare and health that existed way before this pandemic. Yeah, I think that's like the main thing that stands out to me in my work is like we're still having these conversations about language equity and how do people that are in this country get, if they don't speak English fluently, then where are they getting their information from? Is there information available to them or is it being translated by Google Translate, which we know is not the Mm -hmm. best for conveying accurate information. And so I think that's one of the major concerns that I'm seeing in the school public health when we're talking about information, and especially when we talk about what it looks like as the country begins to open up and the different precautions that people should be following and what happens if people aren't following it simply because of a lack of knowledge and understanding. Mm. And then that's bad for everyone. Yeah. So it kind of, I think the pandemic really highlights the problem that inequity is detrimental, not just for the people it's directly impacting, but for the society that they live in. Yeah. And you had sent me the website. I'm assuming that that was the website you had worked on to provide for people. And one of the things I noticed right away was that it offers information in 12 different languages. And so that's definitely stood out to me as something that I haven't seen elsewhere. Um, And I'm wondering if your work there is kind of a standalone or if there are other places that this is happening. I know you said that you came to Chicago particularly because you've seen the good things that are happening there and wanting to join in with it. What do you see in other cities? I know you can't speak for the whole country, right? But what do you see happening in different geographical locations? Yeah, there is a lot of work being done around workers' rights and, you know, calls for sick leave, family leave, pay time off, and more work benefits that I think a lot of people take for granted. And I would say that California is really doing, there's a lot of work being done in California, particularly around migrant workers and farming. And I think that work is, Illinois is not really known for large farms. Right. (laughs) So definitely, I think that in different parts of the country, there's different, different priorities and things being emphasized. And yeah, I would say California, definitely the migrant workers. And then New York, there is a lot, I think all over the country, there's a lot of emphasis and support for what kind of resources should be allocated for the essential workers and healthcare workers. So there's some work being done thinking about like what kind of training or mental health resources are needed for the people that are still going out and working day to day. And what are the extra supports that they might need that 
aren't really available anywhere. I believe there is another, I need to look up what school it was, but it might've been Harvard who also put together a communication website and they have a bunch of fact sheets in, I want to say a dozen, up to 15 languages. Try and find that link and send it to you as well. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So it's not just UIC, but I would say definitely this line of questioning with public health and kind of intertwining with other social justice issues and social justice questions is definitely not the primary train of thought (laughs) for people that do public health work. And I think it reflects kind of a broader shift in thinking about how health is not just a set of behaviors that people do and like going to the doctor, but health is impacted by the policies for the state that you live in. It's impacted by the job that you work, the place where you go to school, the languages you speak. And so I think that a lot of the resources that we see as being like the most radical and impactful, especially during COVID, are resources that look at health through that lens. Yeah, and I appreciate that you said, you know, that these aren't new issues because of COVID, but that COVID's helping shine the light on those things that have been problems in the past. And now it's hard not to see them, which is a good thing. And going back to that idea of social justice and the belief that everyone should have the same resources, what thoughts might you offer then to women who are listening either in higher ed or in the professional world who want to work toward justice during these times? Yeah, I would say to definitely look for ways that you can share information. I think that's the biggest, easiest way to help. Like I said, information gap is really, really dramatic. And we can see that it makes a huge impact in just like people getting infected and hospitalization rates. And so I think sharing information and thinking about what network that people have connections to and how they can share information with their networks and what kind of information is needed for their networks. I know at the school of public health, it's been really hard to understand what the community needs aside from the tangible resources. What are the resources that higher education can provide? So I think that communicating those things would be really useful for your own networks as well as each person's individual work. And I think this is applicable to anyone and not just people in higher ed. But one thing I've been really thinking about is how to thoughtfully give, Mm -hmm. how to thoughtfully give monetarily, but also our time in thinking about what are the things that, that I can do to help aside from my professional work. If you have the privilege to have extra time yeah, <laughs> um, while you stay at home. For me, I don't have any kids. So <laughs> sure, yeah. So thinking about what, what can you give of yourself? Mm. Yeah. And I'm curious too, to kind of go back to what you were talking about before about people having access to accurate information. And we all know that there's so much inaccurate information all over the internet. What thoughts would you offer in how the average person who doesn't have a health background, how to sift through to find things that are true? Yeah, I always, if I see anything in a news article, I always try to click on the sources that they cite because so much of the news is like, so-and-so said this. (laughs) So I really try to go back to the source and really fact-checking with the CDC with your state health department, state or city health departments, because that information is really vetted versus news sources. Even, you know, people that write articles aren't experts in public health. Um, So so many things can get lost in translation. So I always try to encourage people to go straight back to the CDC or their 
local health departments to verify the information. And then, you know, if it's not there, then they can just think about it with caution and what the implications mean if that information is not true. I think definitely erring on the side of caution is the wise thing to do if we're unsure. (laughs) Yeah, that's helpful. Even just in my own social media, I've only been like reading posts by actual people that are in the medical field versus random folks who are just posting links from who knows where. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I did my internship at a college uh, this year and our nurse practitioner at the health center suggested also the same thing, the CDC or our state health department website. So I've tried to to stick to just those two, but it's hard because there's such an influx of info from. Yeah. And a lot of states do have hotlines set up for people to ask questions um, I know Chicago has a like a Twitter chat every day with a doctor. So oh, wow. I would definitely encourage people to like do some research and see what kind of avenues there are to ask questions. That's great. Yeah, it's good to know that these resources do exist in contrast to all the other things that are out there. So kind of related then, as you were talking earlier about hearing all the things that are discouraging and then also looking for what is happening, where do you find hope? both in the field of public health, but also just like on a personal level, where are you finding hope these days? Yeah, I'd say in public health, I like reading stories of people recovering (laughs) for sure. Yeah, stories of people recovering. And then I really like reading stories of, you know, cities and, and organizations that are really allocating resources to do as much as they can. And I think a lot of, at least at the USC School of Public Health, they're our office is trying to highlight some examples in the community of ways that organizations and people are coordinating and giving back. And seeing the ways that people are coming together in this time is really encouraging and just kind of shows that like humanity isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, that people can be selfless and good. And that's really encouraging to see because I think we don't really see that on a regular basis unless we're experiencing that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also finding hope in this YouTube series. It's called Some Good News. Okay. Um, <laughs> Is that with John Krasinski? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great. And that's just like, I mean, it's like once a week, but it's just really encouraging for non-COVID talk. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Of all the good things that are still happening. Yeah. And I think it's just really encouraging to have that. And then one thing I'm trying to do when I check in with friends and have meetings is just asking people like what's new in your life that's mm-hmm. not related to the COVID. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because so many of us still have things going on that aren't related to COVID at all. So right. uh, trying to take the focus off of the pandemic and really just enjoying people, <laughs> enjoying people's company and uh, all the other things that are still happening in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, cause I know for myself, I've tried to limit how much time I spend thinking about or reading about COVID. But for you, I would imagine that you're inundated with it all day long. So how do you find that balance between, I mean, I'm hearing, you know, seeking out other sources of things that are not related. Are you finding yourself overwhelmed or burnout or anything like that? I think that in the first couple of weeks, yes, I was definitely burnt out because it was kind of like COVID all the time, rapid turnaround, you know, on the, mm-hmm. on the infographics and fact sheets that we were, we were making and translating. And I, I think that now that things have kind of slowed down a little bit and it's set in that this pandemic is still happening and will be for a while at least, 
we're able to kind of work more in thinking about the future and what what will the world look like three months from now and what will my work look like three months from now and I think one thing that's been encouraging me in my work is that I think like you said like all these all these problems have existed before the pandemic and now a lot of people are talking about how things can't go back to the way they were mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of a, a blessing in disguise with this pandemic and now there is a lot more attention to the things that were wrong in our society and now people are talking about it. So now in my work, we're starting to talk about it more and talk about like what will be different next year. And that's really encouraging for me that more people are adopting this equity focus uh, that I feel like I've been talking about <laughs> for years. Sure. Yeah. What do you think will be different next year? How do you think it will change our society as a whole? Yeah, I think that I mean, I think the changes will be incremental, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, even before this, there was a push for this this idea of health in all policies, thinking about how our policies for housing, immigration, criminal justice, how these different policies influence health. And now that we're seeing through the pandemic, we can see that in action. And now people are talking about how those policies influence health. And so what I'm hoping for is that, you know, these these policies of providing housing for the homeless that provides personal space. That's not a bad policy to keep on once the pandemic is over. Um, And so I'm really hoping that, you know, cities that have made these kind of temporary changes and temporary solutions to the pandemic would think about now they're able to see that it's feasible to do these things. And I hope that they would continue to have the conversation to see how it could be sustainable for the cities because it is the, the right thing to do. Not to use cliche language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is encouraging because I think we are hearing a lot of of just the the bad stuff right in the news, and it's encouraging to hear about places that are moving towards justice. Um, and hopefully, as you said, they'll keep those things on, keep providing housing for homeless and. Even I have a friend, Michelle Reyes, who her husband is a pastor in Austin, I believe, and they set up hand washing stations all over the city to help provide places for the homeless to wash their hands. Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, stuff like that doesn't go away. Right. Just because the the pandemic eventually will end, right? Well, it will end, right? Yes. Tell tell (laughs) us it will end. (laughs) Excellent. It's good to hear that from somebody who's actually in the health field versus just me, you know, telling my children at night that, oh, this will end, I promise. And I have nothing to base it on. But (laughs) so is there anything that I didn't know to ask that you also would like to share? I guess maybe one note is that the projections for the COVID <laughs> cases, I would just look at those with caution. <laughs> sure. Okay. But I don't think that's a... Well, say, say more what you mean by that. Yeah. So there are a bunch of different models. So it's all mathematical modeling. So with statistics, you can, you can like model the growth of anything. It's the same idea as like modeling economic growth creating a model based on the data that we already have and then Mm -hmm. projecting what it will look like in the future. And so I say, take the models that are about COVID with caution because those are based off of the data that we have, which is not good, (laughs) which is not good data. And that those numbers will change as the testing increases. Um, So I kind of look at all the models with a skeptical view 
And I think the New York Times has a really great article that compares the models and kind of talks about which ones are more conservative and which ones are more liberal. But Mm -hmm. I just, I try not to have too much hope in them. Okay. (laughs) And I just go back to God. Nice. Yeah, I I have to admit that I was looking pretty regularly at the one, is it from the University of Washington? Yeah. Thoughts on that one? I look at all of them with caution. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. So then finally, we like to conclude the podcast with the same question to all of our guests. Has there been a particular quote or scripture or song or other set of words that has been meaningful to you lately? And why does it resonate with you at this time? I've really been into the song Waymaker Mm -hmm. and the chorus goes Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And I think particularly in this time, just remembering who God is and that keeping his promises and doing miracles and being good is who he is. And I think remembering that is very comforting, especially when we see so much death and suffering. And I think remembering that God is good is really comforting to me. And there's this bridge that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. And I think that's a sentiment that a lot of Christians might be feeling right now is we may not see God working right now or feel God working right now, but in faith, we believe that he is working, that he is working and he is still a good God, that his character doesn't change. So it's been really meaningful to me. And I've just been meditating on that idea that God is good and he doesn't change and he's worthy of praise even when we don't see him working. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, yeah. And thank you, Alexis, so much for your time and your knowledge and wisdom to offer with our community. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to have done this interview. It's really cool that someone's interested in my work. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.